0: Yeah. would
1: I want to be a mermaid in like my own mer-kingdom? Probably not because their life isn't great like in a lot of ways um, but you know I think it is it is really fascinating and like I'm really fascinated with like travel and other cultures and stuff so I think if like you know if we if we discovered mermaids like I would be the first one like on the little like tourist submarine being like, <laughs> like I'm gonna go to the mermaid land you know <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs>
0: it's the mermaid podcast we've got mermaids on the land and down below legs or fins you will love our show all the news that makes a splash is on the mermaid podcast hello you're listening to the mermaid podcast and i'm your host laura von holt the fairy boss mother of cinderly I am so excited that you are tuning in, and I am so grateful to everyone who has been spreading the word on the Mermaid Podcast. Every time that you subscribe, listen, share, or review this podcast, you are helping other mermaids find us. It's a big podcast ocean out there, and we merfolk have got to stick together. This is Episode 4, where I had the pleasure of interviewing Julia Ember, author of the awesome young adult novel The Seafarer's Kiss, which is a queer retelling of The Little Mermaid. It borrows from both Hans Christian Andersen's story, from Viking mythology, and has some lovely tributes to Disney's The Little Mermaid. We talk a lot about various world legends about mermaids, all the ways Julia imagines mermaids might adapt to an Arctic climate, what she knows about Norse mythology, and beluga whales. I will have links to a lot of this in the show notes at mermaidpodcast.com. And if you are a subscriber to our newsletter, you received a photo of Julia Ember swimming with beluga whales. If you are feeling a little bit jealous right now, you should go to mermaidpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter so you can also receive cool behind-the-scenes bonuses in your inbox. And now, on with the show. So, here we are. It's Mermaid Podcast. I am here with a special guest. And would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Love to. Um, My name is Julia Ember, and I write um, LGBT fiction for young adults. Um, My most recent book was The Seafarer's Kiss, and it was a Norse um, bisexual retelling of The Little Mermaid. Um, and I'm really happy to be here.
0: I'm super happy that you are here and also um, loved your book. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, okay, so there's there's so much that I want to parse with that because you uh, retold The Little Rave in a very different way and also... Um, you did a lot of things in your book that, uh, like there was a Norse setting, you know, it wasn't yeah. like under the sea, <laughs> like, yeah. um, there weren't talking crabs. Um, <laughs> um, but I want to hear from you first, um, how you got into writing the book. Um, have you always been into mermaids? Just
1: kind of how this came about. Um, well, I think like I've always been really into that classic tale in particular mm-hmm. um I really love um Hans Christian Andersen's like all his entire like kind of corpus of work but that one in particular has always really struck with me I mean my mom really likes to tease me now that I've written a little mermaid retelling because when I was like two I rewatched that film like hundreds of times <laughs> yeah. and she'd be like here's Rafi and I'd be like no <laughs> like where's Ariel um so she teases me a lot about that now um and so I really that was like when I sort of thought I really would like to do a retelling and that was immediately the one that I knew that that was gonna have to be the story that I wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the book it's got a really Arctic setting mm-hmm. and I think as well as mermaids, I've always always been really fascinated with like the Arctic as a place. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how the idea came about and I studied um, I studied medieval history like before um, I decided that academia wasn't for me. I was doing a PhD in medieval and Norse history.
0: Whoa, really? Yeah, okay. Um, but... I have so many questions about that because I'm also like super into
1: Viking. So okay, okay yeah, okay. <laughs> that's that's kind of where it all came about. It was like a combination okay. of my love of the Little Mermaid with my love of like the Arctic and my former PhD topic. Have <laughs> um, kind of all rolled into a fiction book. But...
0: I feel like our Google search history is probably the same. Yeah, <laughs> like... it might be yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so wait, so you were getting a PhD in Norse mythology.
1: Uh, yeah, well, it was medieval literature kind okay. of in general. So it went, it went um, from, like, kind of Anglo-Saxon and Viking literature through to, like, kind of the, the start of the Renaissance. Um, but Old English and, like, Old Norse was definitely my favorite topic that I was studying in my classes. So I just loved it. That is so
0: cool. Okay, so when you got the idea for The Seafarer's Kiss, was it that you wanted to do a retelling of The Little Mermaid first and then you adapted it to your
1: interest, or was there another uh, like seed I mean, for the I, idea? I think the two threads kind of evolved at once. Okay. Um, so I really wanted to do a retelling of The Little Mermaid, and mm-hmm. I also am obsessed with this poem. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an Anglo-Saxon poem. It's called The Seafarer, um, and it's about like a... Um, uh, it's about a Viking who like basically gets lost at sea and it's just this like hauntingly beautiful really lonely poem and so like when I had the idea to do the to do the, the story I thought you know that's why um the love interest is is a Viking and like okay. is kind of stranded at sea um it's because the inspiration to the love interest came from that kind of the Viking side so it's almost like you know, Ursel and her world came from my love of The Little Mermaid, and then Ragna and her world came from my love of Norse mythology. Okay. Cool. And then I kind of just they kind of met in the middle, um, and that's kind of how the book was born.
0: Okay, awesome. And do you want to just talk a little bit about the premise of the plot? I mean, people know The Little Mermaid, but just so that they get yeah, a clear that... idea of where exactly your story is set.
1: Yeah. Um. So my story, it's kind of I mean, it's kind of a dystopian Little Mermaid in mm. a way. Um. It's it's about a mermaid named Ursel who um, lives in an underwater kingdom where they have been sort of exiled to the North. Um, her people used to live in the South in like the, the warmer Southern waters, but they fought a war and they lost. Um, and that was before her generation. But as a result, like mermaid fertility has been really declining. Ooh, and the, it's the, like the, the handmaid's tale. <laughs> yeah. Was, and, yeah. <laughs> underwater hand the water handmaid's tale. Um, so yeah, the fertility's really been declining. And as a result, um, you know, her King, has become really brutal in enforcing. Like, you know, people have to go through this grading, and then the mermaids are basically assessed for their fertility and then they're kind of paired off. Um, and my primary protagonist, Ursel, just really doesn't want that for her life. Um, so she's been resisting it. And she feels kind of betrayed at the start of the story because her best friend, um, Havamal, who's a merman, like had always like said to her, oh, we'll run away when we get older, we'll run away. And then when he gets older, he kind of sells out. Yeah. So she's where the story begins. Um, and then a shipwreck happens like, outside their iceberg, which is where they live. Um, And initially, she doesn't think there's any survivors. Then she realizes that there was a Viking shield maiden who has survived and is on the ice. And so they kind of become friends initially, and then it turns into a romance. And, yeah, it's kind of Ursel's story of trying to escape and
0: yeah I really liked um I mean first of all just the Arctic setting was really cool this like what you did about describing the way that they lived in kind of an ice mountain ice shelf yeah Is that, yeah? Yeah, yeah
1: it's like it's like you, if if you look at art like when I was looking when I was doing the research if you look at the Arctic um a lot of the icebergs and a lot of the um Ice shelves like have these networks of caves, so I kind of imagined that they would live under that, like in these kind of oh, ice caves. Cool.
0: Did you yeah. talk to any like oceanographer or were you just kind of doing your own research? No,
1: I kinda I kinda just did my own research on uh-huh. the ocean. Um I did, you know, when I when I went to edit, like I had um one of my copy editors had knew quite a lot about marine biology and she oh, cool. was very helpful because she was like, No, that species doesn't live there. Like you can't have that. <laughs> you had to like, Kind of like like in my first draft, I had penguins and something like that. And she was like, "There are no penguins in the Arctic. They're only in Antarctica. You have to get rid of them." So we got rid of them. And, so that <laughs> oh, was I love penguins. I totally yeah, would I have put I them there too. <laughs> um, but no, she she wasn't having it.
0: So. <laughs> um. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and I what I liked. Um, I don't want to give a spoiler alert, but you have, you know, a lot of involvement with the Norse gods. So Loki plays a very big role. Um, And I liked that you had, I think true to the myth, you had Loki um, be a shapeshifter, genderless, um, Which I thought was interesting in the idea that they're that they are a a trickster god, so it's like be careful what you wish for. Um, And I loved all the different forms they came in. And then I don't want to give anything away, but you did some cool stuff near the end with bringing in what we typically think of like the Little Mermaid villain.
1: Yes. Um. (laughs) And so
0: I don't want to give. I want to talk about it, but I don't want to give it away. But anyway, guys, that part's super cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um. And and okay, so let's talk a little bit more about um how you saw mermaids, because I think you did a lot of cool stuff with their scales and their biology and how they kept warm and stuff. So can you describe kind of how you envision how mermaids survive
1: in the Arctic? Um, So, I mean, the first thing I kind of thought when I, when I was, when, once I had decided that I wanted to set this in the Arctic and I wanted to have like a kind of a Norse retelling, Mm -hmm. I just, you know, I, I thought of like Ariel and like the kind of the typical image that people tend to have when they think of a mermaid. And I was like, there's no way that they can survive in that climate, um, because, you know, one, you know, we tend to think of mermaids as like, you know, very beautiful, slim women yeah. up top, like, you know, very like having a fully human skin on the top. And then, you know, kind of um, a fins on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I thought of when I thought of sea creatures, I was like, they have to be fatter was kind of my totally. first thing. Yeah. like um, um, Because I was like, there's no way that like if they have no body fat that they're ever going to be able to survive in that climate. So all of my mermaids have a lot more body fat. Um, that's talked about um, in the in the book. Um, they also have a lot more scale covering, so their scales sort of like extend most of the way up their torso, mm-hmm. um, so that it like it, it acts as kind of like an extra layer of insulation. Um, and then, sort of like kind of playing on from that, um, I wanted to give them a method of like you know of generating and retaining heat. So one of the things that's talked about in the book is how they kind of use their sa- their scales almost in kind of like a photosynthesis type process yeah. where they can climb on the ice and then they can like absorb heat through their scales. And then it, it helps them generate um, energy inside their bodies. Um, so that, that was, I think it was mostly me just like thinking of all the problems that living in that kind of environment was, would present and then trying to find solutions to the characters. Um, they also have, they have gills. So they have gill, like little gill flaps or mentions it like underneath their tail scales like rather than having like two open kind of wounds which is what she describes with another character in the book the mage has like kind of gill wounds they have just like little individual gill flaps underneath their scales and I thought that you know because one of the things that I I, I watched this video and it's a really morbid video of a dolphin (laughs) killing a shark oh wow okay And and I was like I wonder like you know I wanted to give them almost a kind of as soon as I watched it I was like okay so gills make them vulnerable because in the video the dolphin like covers the the shark's gills and that's how it dies so I was like okay that kind of a gill structure makes them vulnerable because their their breathing apparatus is actually like on the surface of their body so I was like no my mermaids theirs will be concealed so that they're less vulnerable underwater um so yeah I think it was just it was a fun thing to play with just like kind of thinking about all the things that they would need to survive and thrive as well because you know they have an underwater society they're apex predators in their environment I just thought what would they need in order for that to be true
0: yeah, I think that's so cool. I also liked what when you were talking about the scales, um, I thought it was really smart because if they have to get some, use this, the sun to kind of heat themselves, yeah. um, it's, it was a natural opportunity to be like, I'm hanging out on a, a shelf and I can meet a human, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like a yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Like, and, laughs>
1: I mean, that, that was definitely another problem because I was like, why, you know, if they had gills, if they lived their entire life underwater, what would be the impetus for them to continue to go to the surface right
0: right and And i and i liked it too because it kind of fits in with this idea where like um you'll hear legends of like there was a mermaid setting herself on the rock and i was like oh she's not just like hanging out to
1: be pretty she's gotta get warm she's gotta (laughs) get warm yeah i mean that 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 makes sense with other lores too because you know there's no reason why like you know, an animal, like some something in the sea would be like, oh, I'm just going to hang out here and wait for some humans, like unless there was like a biological reason for them to do it.
0: Right. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I was like, that's good. That was a very solid way to world build <laughs> and also solve um, some problems. I also, um, for some reason, when I was reading about the scales and the way they absorb heat or protect the heat, it made me think of... Um, Spaceships, like the heat oh, yeah. shields on like rocket ships. So yeah. um, I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I think it's just so interesting the way when you, especially when you write um, fantasy or paranormal, what, where you can borrow from different sciences to kind of yeah. cobble together something that would make enough sense to the, the modern reader who has like a scientifically inclined mind. Okay. You know, yeah. and wants yeah. some, like back in the day, it would be like, of course I saw a woman swimming in the sea. But now yeah. like we need a little backup.
1: <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I. I and mean, that's the kind of thing that would bother me. Like, if I was reading about Arctic mermaids and someone was like, yeah, it was just like a woman, like swimming naked in the sea, I'd just be like, what? Like, well, totally. you can't survive there. What are you <laughs> yeah. talking about?
0: So. Oh, and I think it's also that it was a little funny, too, because I think there's stereotypes of like women are either always really hot or really cold. So I just um, yeah. <laughs> like those that they really needed to warn themselves and that yeah. they, they kind of got skinnier if they weren't, um, they like used up their blubber reserves. Yeah. Um, they were under the
1: water underwater for too right. long. Yeah. yeah
0: um so that yeah that part is super cool um can you talk a little bit about the mythology side i mentioned loki but can you talk about the gods that are involved and how they relate to the lives of the
1: mermaids yeah um, i mean in this so in the sequel like kind of like mini plug of spoiler alert like there will be a lot more of the norse gods in the sequel because it's all taking place on land but in this book um agir also plays a pretty big role not directly, because um, he's kind of removed, but he sends um, an envoy to the mermaids. And, he, and
0: he's the king, he's the, the god of the sea, right?
1: He, he's the god of the sea. Okay. Um, so there's Aegir, and then um, you can say Ron as well, um, who's the goddess um, of the sea. Um, but usually in Norse mythology, like, Aegir and Ron are kind of together. And then it's mainly Aegir that's the god of the sea. Okay. Um, so I, I kind of envisioned that he was, like, operating his own little underwater court, And it talks a little bit about the hierarchy of that court and how it's not actually the humans or the mermaids who are like his favorite. It's actually the whales. Uh, Um, There's, there is a part of the seafarer's case where that becomes apparent because, you know, he chooses to help the whales over the humans and that's because they're like the children of his domain. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought that would fit just because, you know, Ager is kind of a predatory God himself. And so I thought, you know, orcas might be his favorite, um, but that's I think Loki and Aegir are the two main gods that feature in this one. But we also hear there's sort of references to um, like mythology that's played out before ourselves time. So like mm-hmm. you know intergod conflict with Loki and then with um, with Odin. Um, yeah, I don't want to give spoilers yeah, for like yeah. what, <laughs> the Loki, but yeah, that that there's a lot of kind of intergod conflict mentioned in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think I think for me that kind of I liked the idea that in a world that was Norse based, that like all the creatures in that world would all believe in those gods. Like it wouldn't just be the humans who would believe in those Norse gods. Mm -hmm. They would have like an effect in other areas as well.
0: Yeah, I think that was um, really interesting for me reading it. Um, just that you kind of were borrowing in one story from so many different areas of mermaid yeah. mythology. Like, there's the Little Mermaid, and there's Hans Christian Andersen, and you know, like everything that he thought. Then yeah. there's um, the Norse mythology, and I and
1: they. So, do you what is like the the Norse mythology on mermaids? You know, that's that's actually a really interesting question because there are really there's not a lot of Norse mythology on mermaids themselves, I think because, like, most... Norse mythology tends to be really dark, mm-hmm. like, really, really gruesome and, like, grim. Yeah, it's, uh, it's
0: not, and, like, um, nice <laughs> gods and goddesses. It's all, like, you, like they kind of put you through hell, and then maybe yeah. you earn your way in, like... It, maybe, yeah. And, like,
1: <laughs> after Norse, like, Norse lit myth and, like, literature, it's all about, like, this idea of, like, sacrifice and exchange, mm-hmm. which is, I think, something that comes across in the book. Like, mm-hmm. you make a sacrifice, and you get something in, in return. I mean, even Odin, who's, like, you know, the king of the gods, like, he only has one eye, because he basically traded one eye for wisdom and that was his exchange. So he, you know, plucked out his own eye and then in exchange, he received wisdom. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a theme that kind of carries through a lot of the Norse myths. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of sea creatures, I'm not sure that there actually are any references to okay. mermaids in Norse mythology. There's a lot of like darker sea creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are like, there's a lot of kind of references of like sentient sea creatures. So, Not necessarily mermaids, um, but, like, the idea um, for the sea swine, who's one of the characters in the book, um, that is a Norse construction, to have, like, a a pig, basically, that's in the sea that has all these eyes all over it, (laughs) it's high. Um, So, you know, they they didn't, I don't know that they had the conception, really, of of mermaids, but they did definitely have an idea of, like, something with a human mind in the sea. Mm -hmm. So...
0: That is so interesting. Yeah, that idea of, like, exchange for power and yeah. being really careful about what you ask for, what you exchange, you engage. And you yeah, can't just, definitely. like, la-di-da around being like, oh, I wish for a genie in a bottle or something because yeah. it's not going to yeah, go the way.
1: are like soft wishes really yeah wishes. No... <laughs> like you have to really make a sacrifice if you're gonna get anything so yeah,
0: there's like no benevolence in, no, like, no benevolence. This. Yeah. they are very harsh gods um which i thought you know i think fits with like the climate and the history and everything yeah. um so and then you mentioned the language that 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 they're able to communicate in is a God's tongue. And is that um, based on old Norse? I mean,
1: they don't really speak it, but when you, when you no. talk about it as, yeah, I, I wanted that to be based on, to be based on old Norse. Okay. Um, And so that's, the, they call it the God's tongue, but mm-hmm. it, it just means that's the language that they were taught from, from the gods. Okay. Um, And I think in the sequel, it like kind of expands a little bit more because they meet, because they're on land, they meet humans that don't speak that language. Oh, okay. Um, which is a bit of a conflict um, for Ursel because she never really knew that there was another language other than that because in the sea, you know, it's it's either one or it's, you know, one of the whale languages or something like that. She didn't really realize that there was another. And the whale languages, it's all, it's, it's different, like echolocation and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's not sounded language. Mm-hmm. And she didn't realize that there was really anything else. So that'll be in the second book.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah, I would liked um, a lot of what uh, she was doing with the... Um, so there's like a hole in the ice, and it's belugas, right, that are yeah. there? And there I, I love how she... I mean, it was, it was wonderful because it was kind of a throwback to, like, princesses having animal friends, you know, but in a very, yeah. like, real way. Because yeah. I've always wondered, you'll see a lot of photos, like, like kind of the the favorite modern mermaid thing is that it's a lot about ocean awareness, you know, and, and ocean yeah. conservation. And so you'll see, like, some amazing women who are, like, swimming with sharks and whales. And it yeah. looks so idyllic. And I liked what you did about it being kind of a mutual, like, survival partnership. Like, yeah. She helped them find food when they couldn't. Um, yep. And then they kind of helped like boost her up and were um, like partners when she needed to like get up there or through the yeah. ice hole and stuff. Um, so I, I loved what you did about being very real about the way that different sea species might interact and, and help each
1: other. Um, plus, I mean, who doesn't want to think about whales? <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, I love I actually Yeah. I absolutely love it. And right before I was in Georgia to do the book launch, I actually went. There's a, an aquarium there where you can actually get in the water and like swim with the belugas, and it oh. was the best thing I've done in my life. It was so cool. You could swim with the you, belugas. You get, they put you in. And they put you in a wetsuit, and you go in with a trainer, and you can like play with them, and they splash you, and you can touch them, and it's amazing. <laughs>
0: um, do you know if you can wear a mermaid
1: tail while you do that? <laughs> I don't know if they would let you. And also, I'm, you'd be really cold because yeah, they keep true. their water, like, Arctic temperature. Right. I mean, we were wearing, like, really thick, I went my partner, we were wearing really thick, like, suits. Okay. And I was still freezing in that water.
0: So okay. I was freezing. Okay. okay, maybe not. But it sounds, like, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so let's see. I want to ask you a little bit about – okay, so, so – the main, um, there, there's a little bit of a love triangle, but it's really a, a romance yeah. in the story. And it's between Ragna and Ur- Ursul, is how you say it, right? Yeah. Okay. And so what I loved about um, that there's, you know, this, like, super fierce shield maiden and this, like, very independent um, mermaid who's kind of wanting to separate from the patriarchal structure of her yeah. ice kingdom. <laughs> um <laughs> But, you know, I I read a lot of romance. I write a lot of romance. There's a big push for diversity of story and of character. Yeah. And so that's what I also loved about this is that um, it was a, like, beautiful, heartfelt, you know, deep romance between two people who were essentially fighting for their survival. And it yeah. was a queer romance. Um, yeah. And so I want to hear from you a little bit about, you know, like what you were thinking when you were writing it, you know, why it was important to you. Um, and, and then I would really like to hear from you about like their, their love. Cause I found a lot of that very, very affecting, like, um, yeah. you know, it's a first love and it's also like interspecies, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. um, but to like, somebody's literally trapped on an iceberg and someone's, and, and Ursula's trying to escape her ice kingdom. Yeah. I just want to hear from you kind of about, about their inner life and
1: uh, about, um, their romance um yeah okay so it's it's interesting because I think I'm not you know I I go back and forth as to whether I as an author even class it as a romance
0: okay Um,
1: and and my reason for that is not like I think there is a very strong romantic subplot between them but I think you know you highlighted that like both of them they're both very independent and they're fighting for their survival um and I think that for both of them like it's it's almost like it's as much a kind of like, you know, they found a kindred spirit and like someone that they respect as it is about love, which I think is, is important. Um, Like, I think for Urselle especially like she's never met another, she's never had another woman in her life who isn't like, isn't prepared to just accept, you know, what the King says or, you know, and she, I mean, she later learns that like, you know, she's, she's had a really bad attitude towards the other mermaids in her, um, in her environment and but and she later learns that but I think you know for her discovering like you know another woman who just wants to fight against the situation that she's been given I think that's really inspiring for her mm-hmm. um, and I think you know they both kind of save each other in a couple of different ways in the book and I think it's you know I think it's part romance I think it's part alliance it's I think it's part you know two people um, trying the best that they can to kind of get their revenge and, you know, and kind of working together. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure, you know, in some ways I'm not sure that it's a romance or if it has romantic subplots because it's got, it's got a kind of happy for now ending, but it's quite open. Um, And I think, you know, with both of them, like, I think it's, I think there is kind of this element of, you know, we're doing what each of them are doing, what they want to do. Mm -hmm. And they've kind of met and, in their situation like both of them are helpful to each other mm-hmm. but i don't think that the book kind of translates that what they're each doing is for each other yeah. i think i think it's very much like they're doing what they're doing for themselves um so yeah I'm not, I'm not sure i'm not sure if i consider it a romance or not i mean i think some people think that's that you know being able to be that level of free and that level of like you know asserting your independence with your partner is is a very good thing mm-hmm. and they would consider it romantic but I'm not, I'm not sure if I, if I still consider romance.
0: Yeah, I think that's what I was drawn to is that I was loving yeah. the idea that it was two very independent people. Also, yeah. like... Having love feelings for each yeah. other and still maintaining their independence and their and their mutual needs for revenge was also like yeah. exciting. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I, I like I've said this on a couple other episodes, but like I'm really into violent and vengeful women, which is why yeah. I like mermaids. Yeah, <laughs> Yep. It's I thing. am too. Why I'm like, yeah, Vikings and mermaids. Yeah, like, I, yeah. I like something about violent women. It's great. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, so I think that's why I. I felt like it was so romantic is because I really liked the idea of independent w- women, um also like having partnerships that fit them in different ways. Yeah. Um. And and I think you're right. It probably would technically classify as something with romantic elements because romance has to be like about the two people getting together. Yeah. And that's like the happy ending. Um. But I also. But what I think I also liked about um, ha- like the idea of two independent women um, having an alliance and also um having some romance, um, was that it was a subversion of the little mermaid plot. Yeah. Um, and actually let's talk a little bit about Hans Christian Anderson, because I've read some very interesting things, yeah. but, um, you know, but in the, the movie, the little mermaid, that everybody knows, it's like, obviously it's about Ariel yeah. getting together with Eric and, you know, yeah. and they live happily ever after. Um, but the story of the little mermaid, which I definitely want to do an episode on is yeah. very tragic. Yes, it is. Um, and it's very, yeah. it's very sad. Like the Little Mermaid does not get the prince at the end; she dies. No. And yep. the whole thing is that if she doesn't get him to love her, she's gonna, um, she's going to, she's going to die. And and I think it's like the, in that story, it's like when mermaids die, they become sea foam. And this, the yeah. Little Mermaid is very concerned about getting a soul and and something like that. And so at the end, she does, she does die. There's this weird twist at the end where they kind of like make it so she's a spirit of the air instead of death, which is like weird. But I've read a lot of interesting theories that I think kind of um, go along with what you were writing about is that in that story, the little mermaid Hans Christian Andersen can be seen through the view of an unrequited romance. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that, um, that he Hans Christian Andersen was, was possibly gay. And that this was like an unrequited, um, love story that he was writing to this person that he admired and was in love with. And so, and, and that strikes me as like from the, from the like literature canon of, Uh, queer romance you know it's always like oh the queer character has to die and that's just like infuriating
1: It is but I think you know in in fairness to Hans Christian Andersen I think you know he was living at a time where Mm -hmm. unfortunately like he couldn't have had the freedom I think to pursue so I almost like I almost feel like that story is very true to like Hans Christian Andersen's view of romance Mm -hmm. in a way like Mm -hmm. you know that he can love someone from afar but he can't actually you know Actually, have a romance, and and that in itself is really is really really tragic. Um, and I would say that this story is probably closer to my view of romance. Um, Right, and that's what
0: that's what I liked about it was I was like, oh wait, no, like they can they can the queer characters can win.
1: (laughs) The queer characters, you know, they can have they can have their happy ending, and they can have um, you know, they can or a happy for now ending because I you know I I really struggle. I have to like. I really struggle with the concept of a happy ever after in yeah. YA. Yeah. Just because I'm, like, these characters, like, and maybe this is me becoming, like, you know, as I reach 30, like, slightly jaded. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, like, you know, things don't work out. Like, you, you never know, like, what, what's going <laughs> to totally. happen. Like, L- Life is so long, I- guys. <laughs> sorry? Life, life is, is long. long. Yeah, actually, <laughs> yeah. life is long, And the um, people you um, love think, at 16
0: you don't really love longer. <laughs> no,
1: <laughs> I know and so I think that like you know for me like I, I'm much more on board with like the happy for now yeah. ending um, in way, and I think that's that's pretty clear um, in this book but I do think you know like queer people should have you know endings which are happy and I mm-hmm. think like I think for two of, I think that's not always a romance happiness though no. like and I think you know again, I'm not, I'm trying really hard not to give spoilers. Yeah. This was the second book. But I think, you know, for Ragna, for Ursula's characters, I'm not sure that they think of, like, their happiness being in the, like, their end-all happiness being, like, with each other. Mm-hmm. I think they would think of it as, like, each of them, for their, ha- to achieve their happiness, they would need to get a sort of freedom. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, all the things that are kind of constricting them. So, for me, I'm like, you know, if, if those two characters were to achieve that freedom. That's their happy ending, not necessarily what happens with their romance. So,
0: and I think that's true to the mythology of mermaids is like, they are uh, wild creatures, you know, yeah. and there's a duality to them. They are, you know, beautiful, but also vengeful. They are like romantic, but also maybe murderous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and so like, I would see, of course, a mermaid would like, of course, this idea that she's in this um, kingdom where the king is essentially trapping them into like a breeding machine by being like, I mean, obviously they need to survive and there's like a reason why they like are greater for their fertility, but that, um, of course a mermaid would feel trapped by that and would want her, like her independence would be, um, her first priority. Yeah. Um, so, okay, cool. So I want to switch gears a little bit because you live in Scotland. I do. Yes. And there's (laughs) a lot of mermaid stuff in Scotland.
1: There is. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot. Um, there's a lot of sea creatures, kind of things in general. I think in Scotland, the legend kind of almost gets conflated a little bit with that of Kelpies. Yes, Um, okay. You more have like shape-shifting beings, Mm -hmm. which, you know, and actually, interestingly in Scotland, like I think the myth here is much more common about to have mermen you know who come from oh. the sea and like seduce young women
0: really oh yeah, I mean I mean kind of return
1: a... them the, return them to the sea um, straight so, woman, yeah. I'm like
0: where do I find them can I yeah there? <laughs> I'm like is there, is there tinder for mermen
1: <laughs>
0: yeah oh my gosh that'd be amazing
1: <laughs> <laughs> sorry go ahead <laughs> yeah no, um, so I think I think that's that's more part of like at least the Scottish legend is um like mermen slash kelpies who can afford like can kind of like appear in either form. Wow, so. okay. It's almost, it's almost like a reversal of, like, the common, you know, mermaid seduces sailor, but it's yeah. more... Here, I think the myth has always been more of, like, you know, Kelpie, who can sometimes look like a man, goes on land and seduces women.
0: Okay, and so then, what's the difference yeah. between a Kelpie and... Because I know Selkie is a woman who's got a seal skin, right? Yeah. Okay, and yes. what's, a
1: Kel- what's a Kelpie? Well, a Kelpie... A Kelpie well, I think there's, there's a lot of similar There's a lot of overlap between okay. them. A Kelpie... Um, they're technically shapeshifters who alf- often appear either as, like, men or horses, oh. but they're in the water. Um, oh, the idea, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the idea is either, like, when they appear as a horse, their goal is to, like, get someone to sit on their back, and then they, like, stick, and then they take them, they, like, basically <laughs> dive them down underwater. That is and then, a
0: sensual image. <laughs> yeah, it is.
1: But, and then they dr- but they drown them. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so it's, a, it's the same thing of, like, a mermaid's kiss might save you or might drown you. Okay. Or it might drown you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then... And the same with like them as a man, like their goal is basically to seduce a woman, get her to go in the water, and then they drown her.
0: Oh so. my god! Oh, okay. Wow, well, it's, 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 it's again not a very um, benevolent view of romance.
1: <laughs> no, no, well, it's not. Yeah, I don't think they have very benevolent views of sea creatures yeah. here. So, no. But parts of
0: Scotland are also kind of harsh. So,
1: you yeah, know.
0: that's true. <laughs> okay. yeah. maybe it's a climate thing. <laughs> Yeah. Um, uh, all right, that is so cool. Um so have you gotten to do any mermaid stuff there or are you just kind of absorbing the the history and the mythology? Um
1: the yeah, I haven't really, I haven't really gotten to do that much mermaid stuff here. I mean, I've gone you know, I've gone up to Loch Lomond and I've seen some of the like the Nessie sites here. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I've not I've not really done any of the the mermaid stuff. I mean, the closest mermaid thing I've done recently is I went to Copenhagen. <gasps> um so I yeah. So I went to Copenhagen and like I went and saw the little mermaid statue and stuff like that. So that was really cool. Isn't um, there a
0: Hans Christian Andersen Institute? Did they did you meet with anybody there? Is, there? Or...
1: there there is an institute there. Okay. I went I went there. I didn't meet anyone. I okay. just kind of went there. Yeah.
0: All right. That's yeah. so awesome. Um all right, cool. Well, I wanna ask you just a couple last questions. Um yeah. so one of the things I'm interested in in this podcast is just this idea of what it means to be a mermaid and why we are so fascinated with them. Do you yep. have
1: any thoughts on what it means to be a mermaid? Oh, well, I don't know what it means to be a mer- I mean, yeah, I, I think, like, in terms of why we're so fascinated with them, maybe just, you know, the sea is so mysterious to us in so many ways. Like, there's so many parts of the sea that we've never seen. And especially, I think, when mermaid legend, you know, started to exist, like, you know people basically saw the surface and that was it like you know they might have been sailors they might even have been vikings who were like seafaring people but they didn't dive under it they had no idea what was going on in this world below um and i think for i think for people like you know this this quest to find like kind of sentient beings who are sort of like us in like all these mysterious places like Mm -hmm. i think it's really strong i mean you see it now with people like wanting to find aliens, like, wanting to find other worlds in that way, because we've explored all of our worlds. But I think, like, you know, when mermaid mythology was evolving, I think people had, the sea was, was as foreign as, like, you know, outer spaces to us now. Mm -hmm. Um, But they could kind of interact with it. So I think that's maybe where the interest, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, I also think there's, like, really, you draw a lot of parallels between, like, the ocean and the subconscious and exploring like parts of our animal selves and whatever. Um, But definitely I haven't thought about that. Like uh, like now it's so normal for people to be able to swim and there's, you know, submarines and we can, we can explore there's parts of the ocean. We definitely haven't explored. There's a lot more that we can do and investigate and there's video. We can see this, but you're right. Like, you know hundreds and thousands of years ago people are like maybe skimming along the surface it's dangerous to fall and you'll yeah. probably die <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. yeah um women especially i think that's also interesting the idea of swim women who swim because yeah. for so long women didn't swim very much because they're yeah. they're they are they they did not have the clothes for it they could their petticoats or whatever might drag them down yeah. um, do you know anything about like Vikings and swimming well, that's interesting. Um,
1: I, I mean I, I think Vikings it's fair to say that like most yeah. of them would have been able to swim yeah. I don't know that you know it we, I don't think that there's ever really been a study about you know how people swam yeah cause I think that's interesting like I think you know people how, some, how people do it and why they do it is different. So, like, I'm not sure, like, I, they definitely didn't have scuba gear or, like, snorkels right, or anything right. like that. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, you know, I think in societies where people were living and working so much on the water, like, they definitely would have been able to swim to an extent. Um, I mean, there's, like, a, there's a really popular um, Icelandic myth about, like, someone, like, doing this competitive swim from, like, Greenland and this mm-hmm. little island and back, and like being in like being you know this champion swimmer and stuff like that so they definitely valued it and people definitely you know were able to do it but i think in some ways that would like the the amount of like of terror almost like how brave you would have to be to do something like that like in those years would have been so much higher because you know they didn't know that like where the sharks migrated or anything like that like if you'd seen a shark in one area of the ocean like to them it would have been feasible that that shark could have gone anywhere in the ocean and so
0: yeah yeah um yeah, that's so interesting. Uh, people and yeah, and swimming in water. Um, yeah. I mean, when you think about it, like we live on this you know wild, huge planet so much that you don't know yeah. about, um, and it's natural to imagine um, what other life forms or people could be here. Yeah. And now we now we try to transfer most of that into the um, into the outer space, like like aliens and Mars yeah. and colonizing other things. But like the ocean was also. It still is an untamed wilderness. It is. You know? Yeah. Um, awesome. Um, so have you ever wanted to be a mermaid? Have you ever wanted to put on a tail? Have you ever wanted to do that thing? Or, or is it like an intellectual interest?
1: Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, like, I'm really fascinated with the ocean. And, like, mm-hmm. I really enjoy, like, being out on the water mm-hmm. and stuff. I don't know that I've ever really wanted to be a mermaid, in a sense. Maybe because I'm too addicted to my technology. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I don't know what I would totally. do. I don't know what I would do out there without my electronics. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, like you know, I think you know, would I like maybe if we ever like actually discovered if we discovered mermaids? Like my opinion would be different depending on what their city was like. Totally. You know, yeah. would I want to be a mermaid in like my own mer kingdom? Probably not because their life isn't great like in a lot of ways. Um, but you know, I think it's it is really fascinating, and like I'm really fascinated with like travel and other cultures and stuff. So I think if like. You know, if we if we discovered mermaids, like I would be the first one, like on the little like tourist submarine, being like, <laughs> I'm gonna go to the mermaid land. You know, <laughs> totally, totally.
0: Um, no, you do bring up a, a good point. And one thing I did really like about uh, the world of your book was the um, reality of the harshness of the wilderness. Because yeah. if the way you presented it, and the and the way I think um, is probably true, is that uh, the ocean is like very wild. Um, the mermaids. You know, in your book, have to be very tribal, um, yes. and it is kind of like they're as if they were living. You know, as if if I were to go right now live in like the complete wilderness. Um, yeah, you know, they're hunting for their food. They have some stores for it um, to try to save up, but they and they've like forged some shelter in these ice caves. Um, yeah. But really, to be a, a mermaid is to be. A really cool badass who has to like fight for survival. It's not, it's not all like sunning yourself and singing. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, as humans, like in some ways, we're lucky because like we don't have the level of like intelligent apex predator that exists Mm -hmm. in the sea that like we would have to come, we would have to, you know, I mean, we do to the extent that like we have big cats, we have, you know, things like that in certain places. Mm -hmm. Um, but in the ocean, it's like, you know, there are so many things that can eat you it's not it's it's so different than here you know and like you couldn't make fire to scare them so you yourself would have to be the scary thing you know and like things like orcas and you know i mean killer like orcas like you know i I wrote more about belugas in this book i'm really fascinated with orcas too but i just couldn't imagine the same kind of um like interactions between a mermaid and an orca pod because they're such like they're such mercantile hunters it's like they will hunt anything um so I think that, I think that in some ways, like, would govern, like, how you had to, you know, think about your life and survive. Like, you knew that there were, like, you know, predators out there that could actually eat you. Whereas, like, for humans, like, we haven't really had that for a very long time. Um
0: yeah, no, I mean, and also, I think that was interesting, too. You talked a lot about, like, um, scavenging the shipwrecks and their fascination yeah. with human objects, which is, like, a super fun part of the Little Mermaid yeah. movie, obviously. Yeah. You have to put that in. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, like, yeah, it's so interesting the different technologies that um, that humans have evolved on land— um, and the ways we've been able to like group and have cities and and you know like kind of remove ourselves from the the wilderness um, yeah. versus like the the ocean is so untamable you can't like yeah. clear trees and make you know pastures or whatever there's no agriculture no. Um, um, so it is really interesting that it's such a throwback to like the the primitive parts of our human history yeah. Um, so yeah I, I mean I think it's not, I think your 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 book is fantastic do you want to give um, a little plug for the next one and let people know how they can find you.
1: Yeah. Um, so the next one, we just announced it. It's currently untitled, but it's going to be a, um, it's, it follows Ragno, So it's less about mermaids and more about Vikings okay. in the second book. Um, the current, the, the book, the name of my book that we've been talking about is the Seafarer's Kiss. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Jules um, underscore Chronicle mm-hmm. or on my website at juliaember.com.
0: Awesome. And just one final question. If I were a shield maiden and I found myself stranded on an iceberg, yeah. what's the first thing I should do to survive?
1: Oh, um, I would say like, try to make some kind of shelter, which is what Ragna does. I mean, especially if you're, if you're wet, mm-hmm. like the first thing you're going to want to do is like, you know, make some kind of shelter out of like your boat or your, your pelts, and then like probably take off all your wet clothes. Cause that's just going to make you freeze faster. Um but yeah, try to stay out of the wind and try to stay dry are probably the two biggest things immediately in the <laughs> yeah. arctic. Okay, so, cool.
0: <laughs> and then yeah. hopefully a very beautiful mermaid with blue hair will like throw yeah, you, we'll some you some raw fish meat
1: or firewood because <laughs> yeah. otherwise you're screwed. It's <laughs> totally, um, yeah. pretty harsh. So yeah. Oh and watch out for polar bears cuz they're Oh yeah.
0: Totally. They're nasty.
1: So <laughs> yeah. super good survival
0: advice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Cinderly's Mermaid Podcast, and thank you so much to Julia Ember for her time. More photos and information about Julia Ember, including where to find her book, The Seafarer's Kiss, can be found in the show notes at mermaidpodcast.com. If you like what you've heard, we hope you will share this episode on social media, and if you really loved it, please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Mermaids love reviews! And if you join our mailing list at mermaidpodcast.com, you can get special behind-the-scenes information and a heads-up when we have new episodes. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at mermaidpodcast. If you know a mermaid or a mermaid expert we should interview, you can fill out a Google form linked also in the show notes at mermaidpodcast.com. As always, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at podcast at cinderly.com. In our next episode, I interview Brandi Anthony, a photographer and social media influencer, also known as the Vero Beach Mermaid. It's the Mermaid Podcast. We've got mermaids on the land and down below. Legs or fins, you will love our show. All the news that makes us flash is on the Mermaid Podcast.